Hi, I'm Victoria Starek Somalin, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is Geostrategy 360, our fortnightly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. For months, human rights groups, policymakers and experts in the West have urged countries to boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing due to widespread human rights abuses by the Chinese Communist Party. The United States became the first major power to impose a diplomatic boycott, followed by the United Kingdom and our allies and partners. The primary reasons are widespread allegations of Chinese atrocities against the Uyghur community, an intense crackdown on political freedoms and pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong, and more recently concerns over, over um, a sports star, Peng Shui, who disappeared from public view after openly criticizing a Chinese government official. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by our James Cook Associate Fellow in the Indo-Pacific, Matthew Henderson, to discuss what is the latest when it comes to the diplomatic boycott of Beijing 2022 games and why it matters. Matthew, welcome to Geostrategy 360. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Matthew, let's maybe start our conversation today um, with a general overview of the situation. So, how much does the diplomatic boycott of Beijing 2022 matter? And what is the scope of this boycott? This is an exceptionally good question, because how much something matters, I suppose, really is best measured by saying what effects will it have? And what effects this will have will not be seen for quite some time hence. What we know, though, is that the uh, government of China, the Chinese Communist Party state, has reacted very strongly to this prospect, uh, emitting very loud cries of rage and at the same time saying that it really doesn't matter, which is quite a, uh, uh, to us, a contradictory, but for them a very normal way to respond to anything that doesn't fit in with their plans. So there is definitely some kind of traction. And the question then I suppose we might all ask would be, well, will it make life better for any of the people in China whom we believe, indeed we know, uh, to be in a very desperate situation indeed? And that also is very hard to compute. But it does not mean that this boycott is not worth doing at all. And in a sense, it is a process which is part of a wider process. The way in which Western countries previously bemused or bribed into complicity and complacent collusion with China have begun to take a very different approach. And this cause, this voice that is being heard now, is a way in which that can be made heard worldwide at a time when that is exactly what the Chinese Communist Party does not want. Therefore, as I say, there is traction. Um, so coming back also to this most recent um, news headline, uh, which relates to human rights abuses um, in China to some extent, um, the tennis player Peng Shui, um, she disappeared from public view after accusing the Chinese government official of an assault. Um, do you think this might have acted as an additional incentive for some countries to join the diplomatic boycott of the Olympic Games Associated with next the apparent February? disappearance of a famous... Uh, Chinese tennis playing athlete, Ms. Peng Shui, has of course played into the sense that things are not as they should be for athletes uh, in China and that perhaps the party treats them in a manner that is as uh, 
reprehensible in their private lives as it does publicly. Um, this can only be seen to be the case, and it is not without precedent. Uh, sports people from China have in the past affected the plight of former um, athletes, uh, Olympic athletes in China, even very successful ones, is something that has been a scandal for many years. There are these fa factory farms, if you like, where uh, children are bred up effectively to do nothing but the best they possibly can. More than a quarter of a million of these, probably. Uh, and what becomes of all of them when they've won their momentary kudos for the party and are then discarded is, is, is a matter of great concern and has been for many years. So from this point of view, we shouldn't forget that um, the, the bravery of, of Miss Pung and the uh, uh, hushing up of her, her no doubt, uh, serious com complaints about abuse by uh, a senior uh, political figure, uh, that these things are important as they are in the Olympic context, but they are naturally simply also simply part of a state where there is no proper law at all. There are plenty of laws which are the will of the party, but if the party decides to act outside those laws, then the people involved will be disappeared. So as the great uh, emigre um, Ai Weiwei said, uh, you've heard about Peng Shui, but think of all the people in daily life, day by day, who go through the same trauma and are not heard about. We need to think in that broad perspective and not see this purely in sporting terms, which is why this boycott is so important, because it isn't just about the way sport is conducted. It's the way, about the way that people are abused by an unaccountable, illegal regime. Um, Matthew, has there been a similar precedent before um, when it comes to um, boycotts of sports events in the recent years? The Chinese government itself has um, uh, from time to time taken part in boycotts of various uh, groups of people. From the word go, their whole approach to the Olympic Games and the, uh, indeed uh, the International Olympic Committee was conditioned by the fact that they held a position of principle in regard to how Taiwan was referred to. And because Taiwan was not referred to in a way which suited them, they themselves abandoned contact with the entire world of the Olympics for a very long period of time. That situation was resolved finally in the early 80s, and since then they've taken part. But the idea of not being part of this and making that a political gesture is hardwired into Chinese politics. Which countries have joined this diplomatic boycott so far? Um, uh, we mentioned earlier um, uh, today um, the United States, the United Kingdom. But who else has joined? And have there been also any key allies or partners who have not yet made a decision or, on the contrary, said that they would not be joining this boycott? Yes, this is an interesting question. In fact, I think one of the earliest countries to declare that it would not be attending in an official capacity was Lithuania, which has done this very boldly, courageously, and quite early on, I think quite perhaps as early as the 2nd of December, certainly around the very beginning of September. The American statement follows a little later, and then you get a spate of, of, of others joining in, the Canadians, the Australians, uh, the British. And then towards the end of the process, something happens in New Zealand where they say, it's too risky to go because of COVID, therefore we won't be going. But of course, there are nuances to that as well. That's the principal grouping at the moment. So, Matthew, but have there been any key allies or partners who have not yet joined this boycott? Um, and have there been any, any allies or partners who decided not to do so? And if yes, what are the reasons? Because this is such a complex question and has such a big effect in terms of where individual uh, free world states are in relation to their allies and also in relation to the economic groupings that they belong to, 
and the sorts of dependence that they have as a result of their trade with China and other relationships with China, inevitably there has been a great deal of difficulty for many states in avoiding a position that is too markedly aggressive in relation to China and therefore risks certain sorts of really very uh, stringent responses, but at the same time shows solidarity. So, for example, I think the people of South Korea and the government of South Korea have had an extremely difficult time of it. At the moment, they have reached a stage in their understanding of the negotiations with the North about the ending of the war. And in order to conduct those negotiations, whatever they may may really be, requires close participation with China. It is therefore extraordinarily difficult for the South Korean government to take a full part in the boycott, as described, uh, without risking simply uh, unrailing that whole, derailing that whole process. Now, you might argue, well, this is pretty vacuous, really. Actually, it's a problem between America and China. It's got nothing much to do with the South Korean governments and their talk about the end of the war, because actually, what's that really going to change? I don't think that's right. I think we have to give full respect to the complex situation that the president of South Korea was in and his decision not to associate himself with the boycott. That does not mean that an ally has failed us. It means that people in a very different position are taking a different judgment. Fair enough. In Japan, clearly also, it's been a very difficult thing to think about. Um, It does appear that they're moving the direction of the decision that senior ministers, cabinet ministers, and quite possibly other top officials will not go as well. Back in Europe, um, as we all know, there was a, a, a resolution by the European Parliament saying that a boycott would be a good idea. Clearly, that's all very well as a group, and still the group is doing its usual European amble in the direction of a, a judgment on these matters. But meanwhile, of course, individual states and their leaders are uh, perhaps playing a slightly more uh, careful hand. That's clearly true in France. It may well prove to be true in Germany as well. So whether all the countries that are saying, well, what we need is a, a combined European um, view, well, that's a message that is often heard. And how often does it actually produce results? We shall wait and see. But that, again, is understandable. Meanwhile, of course, countries like Poland and uh, Hungary, who have uh, complex relations economically with China and don't take that much interest in human rights, are most unlikely to wish to be associated with any such thing. So there are a raft of different scenarios. I wouldn't say that there are allies who have who've failed us, because there is no us to fail. This is simply a decision about how important questions of free world principle are which go beyond the interests of individual states. Um, What has been the reaction in China uh, so far? As always, the Chinese government is prepared to um, make very loud and threatening statements about something which should not in itself be seen as a threat to their national security or honour in any way. They claim that the Americans are in a calculated and artificial manner creating a a criticism of them designed to undermine the games and to go against the spirit of the Olympics, and that they have um, ordered their their proxies, their puppets, as the Chinese likes to present them, uh, the other so-called Anglo-Saxon countries and anybody else who wants to play along, to do as they have done. This is, of course, not true. Um, uh, Everybody involved who's decided to join in, and many of those who have not, have stated in terms that they've been under no impression from any foreign country, and particularly not from America, to take part. This is a matter of complex judgments of national interests, whether they be temporary expedient ones or long-term questions of principle. And so from that point of view, we've seen a different series of responses in different countries and a different balance of of priorities for engagement with with this particular activity. 
You can call it diplomatic because it's the, the point is that government officials, diplomatic officials, do not attend. But senior senior uh, uh, politicians and and others have also said they will not come. Uh, there is a certain irony to this because undoubtedly quite a number of those would not have been invited anyway. Um, so we have the strange situation that people in China are being told by their leaders that on the one hand it is disgraceful and shameful that the West is ganging up against China, but on the other hand it doesn't matter at all. Either of these people wouldn't have been invited or wouldn't be, wouldn't be missed. So that is that is the, that is the response. But meanwhile, as you know, the European uh, Parliament voted through a resolution in July saying, by, by an enormous majority, several five hundred and more. 73 people abstaining, but I think only 29 against, saying that there should be a boycott. And that was a very important signal. So in, in a sense, the, the Chinese government, the, the, the CCP uh, government, knows that this is coming, has been coming down the road at them. And they've plowed on as if it was something that could be ignored and dismissed, and yet at the same time very plainly do not feel that that is really true. Do you think China can retaliate further uh, by using other means in the upcoming weeks and months? One would have to ask exactly what they think they're retaliating against. They've still got their games. They've still got the athletes. So in that sense, the Olympic spirit, which is about the individual competitors doing their best as individuals, of course, as a national team. But then again, they've got this curious group of Russians who are not officially a national team at all <clears throat> and yet are clearly very welcome. So it's an anomalous state of affairs. Um, but at any rate, from the point of view of, the, of President Biden's and other people's response, it is a good thing that athletes who've spent ages training and who are undoubtedly uh, the finest in their field in the world should have a chance to compete in games which are properly run. Uh, and that is going on unchallenged. If it is simply a matter of political kudos and loss of face and a huge fuss and retaliation is, 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 is being threatened uh, as a result of that, Well, we can see very clearly from that exactly how little the approach of the Chinese government has to do with the Olympic spirit. Very little at all, because this is not uh, what, what, how do they define it? It's something like excellence, friendship and unity or something of that nature. There are these values which are, which are, are, are extolled by in the, as, as part of the IOC spirit. That has got nothing to do with threatening people with serious actions as a result of their errors because they decide not to go along and provide a hand-clapping background to a political, 1936-like, show of political power and force and supremacy by an unelected, unaccountable totalitarian regime who is using the games as a platform for their demonstration of their own power and supremacy and their aims to increase both. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today and for having this conversation on GeoStrategy 360. And this is GeoStrategy 360, the Council on GeoStrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. The good news is that from next year onwards, from January, we will be having one episode per week uh, of GeoStrategy 360. And you can listen to GeoStrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms. And you can find all our podcasts on our website, www.geostrategy.org. Dot uk slash podcasts.